We want to be thankful tonight for the Word of God. We, er we earlier started out with Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, that speak of, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, whose leaf does not wither, and he shall prosper and bring forth fruit in its season. It's a wonderful promise, and it's another psalm dedicated to the Word of God. Let's be thankful for the Word of God tonight. Amen. Let's be thankful that the Lord's put a desire in our hearts to obey that Word. If He had not done so, we would not. We would have no interest in being here tonight, nor appreciating His Word and wanting to learn it, understand it, and keep it. I want to be thankful for the joy and zeal that was visible on Sunday in here when we went through Psalm 119 in our two assemblies. And I appreciate all the participation, the young men that joined in all the way down to David Jones, and uh, the zeal for God's Word from that psalm. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for the sake of Thy precious Word that we gave great lip service to on the Lord's Day, bless us tonight to bring that word home into our homes and into our hearts, that we might hate every false way. Direct us, O Lord, to see those false ways. Bless our efforts to examine ourselves and lead us in paths of righteousness for thy great name's sake. We thank thee that we are the adopted children of God. Bless us by thy Holy Spirit to live like it, in thought and word and deed. For we ask this in Jesus' name, who is the cornerstone and the head of this church. Amen. Amen. Hating false ways. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Psalm 119 and verse 128. Tonight we want to focus on the last clause of this verse, and I hate every false way. It's a favorite or theme verse of our church, and I hope you know that. It's a great summary of the Lord Jehovah's religion and the religion of Christianity, that the Word of God is the manual for our lives, and we esteem everything that it says on any subject to be right and true, and we hate anything to the contrary. Let's take the verse apart word by word for just a moment. Therefore, we must ask, and you always should when you're reading, especially in the Word of God, and you find a therefore, you ask the question, what is the therefore, therefore? Because therefore is drawing a conclusion. God will judge those making void His law is something David had just described in verse 126, two verses before our text. David loved his commandments, and he loved those commandments beyond words. David had committed himself to keeping God's words, and he said that in verse 127. So that's why we have the therefore. God was going to judge those that broke his law. God, it's time for you to do your work. They've made void your law. Well, when you call God's judgment down on those who disobey God's word, you better make sure that you're keeping God's word. I esteem. Esteem means to value something very highly. It means to count. 
a thing as being very important to you. That's how you esteem something. It is a choice that we make to put God's words highest in our value system. That God's words on any subject are more important to us than anything else. That's that's how we esteem all God's precepts. We tremble before all of God's commandments. We do not pick and choose what we like or do not like. We tremble before all of them and we esteem all of them. We value all of them to be important. The precepts hardest to obey are those that you need the most. That's what you personally need the most are the ones hardest to obey. And they're the ones that we want to tremble before the most. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things. The Bible addresses every part of your life. There is no part of your life or anything you do that the Bible has not addressed. We do not consider any part of our lives off limits to our Creator, our Savior, our God, and our King. He has the right to correct any part of our lives. And that's what is meant by 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, that there are many Christians in the latter days that would have a form of godliness but would deny the power thereof. That is the authority to tell you how to live, the authority to correct what you're doing and give you an alternative way to do things. And so speaks the Bible on every part of our lives. To be right, we esteem all of God's precepts concerning every part of our lives to be right. A thing is right when God approves it. The infinitely holy and perfect Just and righteous God is He, and when He defines right from wrong and truth from error and righteousness from wickedness in the Bible and foolishness from wisdom, we believe it, and that's how we measure everything that we do. Or that is how we should measure everything that we do. It does not matter what the world thinks is right or wrong, no matter how noble the person might be or how many of them there might be, It doesn't matter what you think is right or wrong. It's thus saith the Lord. What does the Bible say about that subject? All things are either right or they're wrong or they're matters of liberty. And so when it says to be right, sometimes rightness is liberty. Sometimes rightness is, this is the way, walk ye in it. And sometimes wrong is doing anything else than what God has said. And I hate. The word hate is considered to be a problematic and bad word in our generation. But if you love something, you're going to hate its opposite. They can try to legislate hate crimes all they want. The people that our government and our entertainment industry and our educational machinery and our media all hate are Bible Christians like you and me. They hate. It's just they hate the opposite things that we hate. I hate, is what the Bible says. Now this is the sweet psalmist of Israel that said this. When you hate something, you dislike it and despise it intensely. You have very strong feelings against it. And so the psalmist said, I hate. It is the opposite of love and acceptance. Because you despise it and reject it. And it means that you're going to avoid it at any cost or trouble. I hate, is what the Bible says. This is a wonderful verse. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. 
Every false way is anything that is not right before God. It is any differing opinion or contrary idea that does not match up with what is right according to Scripture. Do not just hate those sins that you think are disgusting. Hate every false way. And the question tonight is, do you have any false ways in your life? Anything that is not right according to the Bible, you want to hate that. Because it says every false way, even those that may be dear to us, even those that Hebrews 12 might describe as the sin which doth so easily beset us. You must hate every sin, even sins that in your flesh you like, even sins that in your flesh you want to protect, even sins that in your flesh you make excuses for. Lord, help us and save us from such. Every false way. Now do you hate this false way? Where is, what state of the union is this building in? Utah. What city is it in? Salt Lake City. This is the temple of the Mormon church. David said, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. We hate Mormonism. This is the tabernacle behind that temple that you have seen before. This is the choir loft of the Mormon tabernacle in Salt Lake City. We hate everything they stand for when it comes to the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have four holy books, the King James Bible, the Book of Mormon, Doctrines and Covenants, and the Pearl of Great Price. This describes the Book of Mormon as another testament of Jesus Christ. Now what is this thing? Can you see it? There's water down in there, and it's on the back of those bronze oxen. And you think this is above ground or below ground? This is below ground. It's what is in every Mormon temple. It's a baptistry for the baptism for the dead. Here's where you can bring the names of your dead relatives that never had a chance to meet Joseph Smith, and you can be baptized by proxy for them. So the average Mormon has been baptized 10, 50, 100, or 400 times for dead relatives because they made the horrible, heretical mistake of assuming that baptism saves. And once you make the assumption that Mormon baptism is necessary for salvation, what about all your relatives that never had a chance to become a Mormon? There's Joseph Smith, the peeper. What are those? That's the holy underwear worn by Mormons like the Freemasons wear. Now, we look at this kind of stuff and we can say, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. I hate a religion that's come up with holy underwear and baptism for the dead and Joseph Smith's novel, The Book of Mormon, on the par with Holy Scripture. Ever seen guys like this around town on their bikes? Or walking the streets? I want to say something for them, though. There are young men at the age of 18 take two years out of their lives and at their own expense go to some place in the world and spend two years at their expense getting two years behind all their peers 
in their collegiate education and professional progress by being missionaries for the Mormon church, which is one of the fundamental reasons why it is one of the fastest growing churches and denominations in the world. Every one of them. It's a requirement of membership. There's two of them. How about these guys? Now, are you able to see a bunch of men bent over? What are they doing? What in the world are they doing? This is Islam. These are Muslims. They're bowed over and they're facing Mecca because they're praying to the moon god of the Arabians named Allah. Now, there is a bunch of men bent over. I know that you can hardly see them because they're just dots to you, but they're all in Mecca worshiping their meteorite in the Kaaba. You can go home and check me out on any of this. It'll only take 30 seconds in a Google search box to type in Kaaba, Mecca, and find out that there's a meteor in that black box, and that's where they go to trek to worship as Muslims. This is on the top of every mosque. It tells you where their god came from. It's the moon god of the Arabians, a crescent moon. We hate every false way, including Islam. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. How about Buddhism? There's a Buddha. You want to pray to that thing? You think we're hard on you, young people? How would you like to give your life to look like that and act like that? Two little fairies walking around for their bloated-bellied god. How about Hinduism? How many hundreds of millions follow that religion? How about Catholicism? 1.1 billion. He's holding up what he believes and says and declares and defines as the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. There is absolutely no cracker there whatsoever. It has been entirely transformed in its substance. Russellism otherwise known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, because they were founded by Charles Taze Russell around 1860. These are false ways. Every false way, Mormonism, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, Catholicism, and Russellism. We hate every false way. But my dear brothers and sisters, these do not cause us any temptation. Anyone tempted in this room to run off and join the Mormons? or the Buddhists, or the Jehovah's Witnesses, it is easy to be distracted by these false ways. And that's why we do not spend much time in this church teaching you about cults, New Age, the occult, false religions, because it's unnecessary. The Bible tells us to be simple concerning evil and wise concerning that which is good. There are other sins much closer to home. My brothers and sisters, tonight that we want to take aim at with Psalm 119, verse 128. We must identify every false way where we sin or where we are tempted to sin. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Do you really hate every false way? Let's bring it closer to home. Here's a false way, sodomy. There's two men getting married in our country. How about murder? There's Jack Ruby killing 
Lee Harvey Oswald. How about idolatry? There's a man praying to Mary. How about witchcraft? Buckland's complete book of witchcraft. How about drunkenness? How about abortion? Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. How about effeminate? Is that a sin in the New Testament? Is cross-dressing condemned in the Old Testament? Yes, it is. Every false way, sodomy, murder, idolatry, witchcraft, drunkenness, abortion, and effeminacy. We hate those false ways. But these do not cause us much temptation. If there's one or two in that list that cause you temptation, I am not excusing you or protecting you. Hate anything in that list and anything that leads toward anything in that list because God hates the things in that list and you should hate them along with us. It is easy to be distracted by those sins so we don't spend a whole lot of time preaching against witchcraft and idolatry. There are other sins much closer to home. We must identify every false way that tempts us to sin. Do you really hate every false way? Don't excuse yourself because you hate Hinduism and you hate sodomy. Yes, sodomy is despicable. It's an abomination before God. And it should be revolting to our conscience and mind and body. But are there false ways that creep into your life? How about dishonoring parents? Treating parents lightly is a false way. Deuteronomy 27.16 Cursed be he that setteth light by his father or his mother. If you set light or you treat your parents lightly, you're guilty of a false way. Mocking parents with eyes is sin. Do you remember that Bible study from 6 to 12 months ago? If you roll your eyes at your parents, the Lord has some severe things to say about it in Proverbs 30 and verse 17. Not supporting your aged parents when they're old is to deny the faith and be worse than an infidel according to God's value system, which we esteem to be right, and so we hate every false way, so we will always take care of our parents, won't we? Cursing either parent is a false way to be punished with death. Exodus 21, 17. And you know, I gave you a study that took 45 minutes or longer on a Wednesday night a number of months ago on this one subject. This is a false way. Do you honor and reverence your parents? Do you treat them with high regard and respect? Are you kind to them and very cooperative and very cheerful for anything they ask you to do? How about esteeming your pastor? 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. It's in the Bible. I thought I might as well show it to you. Do you have a noble Facebook page? For those of you that are a little socially handicapped, oh, I'm so sorry. 
and have a Facebook page, is it noble? Is it godly? Is it virtuous? The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The Bible also says, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Is your Facebook page to the glory of God? The next verse after 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, giving none offense, neither to the Jew, nor to the Gentile, nor to the church of God. Are you letting your light shine before men so that they can glorify your Father which is in heaven? Is your Facebook page virtuous and holy, godly? You say, well, nobody would like it. Of course. Why do you think I started off the way I did about Facebook? Is your Facebook page noble and godly? How about ruling your spirit? Proverbs 25, 28. Remember, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. This is just a sample. You know, we could be here until the end of the year if we were to look at every precept in God's Word. I'm still worked up. Can I vent a little longer? You have chosen to go out there and associate with a bunch of sodomites and everyone else that is in the Facebook world. If you're going to go out there, is your Facebook page a testimony that you are a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth? Or are you ashamed of Him? Or are you trying to get along with as many of the other perverts that are friends of your friends as you can? Brethren, let us be holy in everything that we do, especially when we go public with it. No one forced you to go public. But since you chose to go public, make sure that you are going public and glorifying God by letting your light shine. It's not a sin to have a Facebook page in this church. We just warn about it. Ruling your spirit. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls if you do not rule your spirit. Remember, this is the 11th time. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. The Bible tells you in one of its precepts that you are to rule your spirit. This could be quick anger over really nothing. The Bible would describe it in Matthew chapter 5 as anger without a cause. The Bible says if you have to get angry, and there's a cause to get angry, then don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. This could be emotional weepiness and moodiness. They're just as much a, a lack of ruling the spirit that God gave you. There's two different ditches that we can fall into by not ruling our spirit. It's one of God's precepts. I'm just giving you a sample. See, it's easy if I were to preach against Mormonism tonight and blast you with a bunch of slides and show you how that the Book of Mormon is just a plagiarized novel about the American Indians. But what good would that do you? Oh, it'd be entertaining, and your flesh would even enjoy it. And you'd go home with no spiritual profit. But I'm trying to help you right now. The Lord's trying to help us all right now. I'm as subject to these things as you are. Lord, help us to rule our spirit. 
I have a spirit. It doesn't retire very often. Keeping your mouth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. That tells you what ought to come out of your mouth. It is to never be corrupt or filthy, bad, dirty, wrong, polluting. But it's to be good and it's to help edify or build someone up so that it can minister grace. Every time you get to speak, you're a minister. You say, well, I was never called. Yes, you're called every day to minister grace to the hearers of your speech. Keeping your mouth. In Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 4, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. True saints that are adorning themselves to please God do not allow these things to be named even once among them. Not fornication, not uncleanness, not covetousness. Neither filthiness, bad speech, bad language, corrupt communication, as the previous verse told us, nor foolish talking. We live in a generation that lives on foolishness. Their sitcoms are designed for foolishness. People think that you have to tell jokes to break the ice. Foolish talking, nor jesting. The Bible knows about jesters. The Bible knows about jokesters. But the Bible says, nor jesting. And those things are not convenient. That is not a convenient use of your mouth. Do you know how that word convenient is used in Romans chapter 1? It describes that sodomy is inconvenient. And if you need help on figuring that combination out, ask me about it afterwards. I'll show you my discretion right now. But rather, giving of thanks. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. Our mouths should not have any filthiness coming out of them. Nothing bad, off-color, dirty. Our mouths should not have foolish talking, inane, wasted words, empty words, nor jesting, making fun or sarcastically speaking about other people, but we should be giving thanks. Remember, Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Is it true about this passage? I love giving thanks. I hate jesting, foolish talking, and filthiness. How about answering again on the job? The Apostle Paul told Titus to preach, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things. This is how you should go to work tomorrow. Not answering again. When your boss tells you to do something, even though you think someone else should have been asked to do it, even though you don't want to do it, even though he could have done it himself, even though it's that time of the month, even though you had a bad day, we don't answer again because the Bible says not answering again, except to say, yes, sir, right now, sir. Not purloining. Those are small thefts from your employer of all sorts. But showing all good fidelity, faithfulness on the job is God's precept for you when you go to work tomorrow. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. This is how we beautify the gospel of Jesus Christ is not answering again, not purloining, but showing all good fidelity and pleasing our masters in all things. Backbiting. 
In Romans chapter 1 and verse 30, it condemns backbiters in a list of sins that begins with sodomy. In a context of idolatry and sodomy, we have Romans 1.30. I hope you'll also remember this, the sins that are cousins to this one. Tailbearing, whispering, slander. When someone's not around you and when you're speaking about someone else, let's be guilty of back-kissing. Let's be kissing them, in effect, while they're away from us, so that we're building up each other's reputation in their absence. Instead of tearing it down, or by innuendo, or whispering, or even telling things that are true that don't need to be told. Bitterness. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Bitter envying and strife in your hearts. Bitterness comes from unresolved differences. You cannot let anything fester. You cannot let anything boil. Or that root of bitterness will spring up and destroy you and defile others. Hebrews chapter 12. Forgive and forget. No one truly offended you. You're not important enough to be offended, and no one has really done anything to offend you anyway. The only offense in the universe is your offense of God. And if you would remember your 10,000 talents you owe Him, the hundred pence that someone might owe you once in your lifetime pales into insignificance. Defrauding. Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. That is sex the way he wants it, when he wants it, where he wants it, and how he wants it. And likewise also the wife unto the husband. Notice it starts out with the husband's duty to the wife, then the wife's duty to her husband. The wife doesn't have the power or authority of her own body. She doesn't have the right to withhold her body. The husband has the right to her body. And likewise also the husband does not have the authority or right to keep his body, but the wife has the right or authority to his body. If you don't practice these two verses, 1 Corinthians 7.5 says you are guilty of the sin of defrauding. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. This is a false way. Do you hate it? Evil surmising. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. This is thinking or speaking bad about a person without proof. Love believes and hopes the best about others. It doesn't think evil about others. That's how we get along with each other and are always happy because we always think the best. Even when it looks poor, we're still going to believe the best. And even when we can't believe it, we're going to hope the best. Heady. This is a description of the perilous times of the last days. In the midst of 19 crimes by Christians, in the perilous times of the last days, it says traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. What does the world, the word heady mean? This is making hasty, impulsive decisions. It's to fall headlong. It's to rush headfirst into something without adequate analysis. Wisdom consults counselors and moves slowly. God calls us to be calm, sober, cautious, and prudent. Don't make decisions without counselors. In a multitude of counselors, there is safety. A multitude means more than one. 
Counselors in the Bible means God-fearing men with wisdom who have been successful and have been taught by life's experience and by the Word of God. And then you have to follow that advice, not just hear it. Well, I went and asked three men their opinions, but now I'm going to go do what I was going to do anyway. That it's not following the, the commandment. Heady. There's a little word. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. I'm going to slow down and be more cautious and get more counsel before I make decisions, a wise man would say. Sedition or sowing discord. These six things doth the Lord hate. This is out of Proverbs 6. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. This is number one. Pride. I esteem all thy precepts. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. And heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. That's an evil imagination and fantasies. Feet that be swift and running to mischief. There's being heady toward wickedness. A false witness that speaketh lies. So we've got two liars in this passage. And he that soweth discord among brethren. Are you a peacemaker? Are you always trying to make peace? Are you always putting everyone else on better terms with each other so that there can be peace and unity in our church? Sobriety. In Titus chapter 2, there are four age groups mentioned. Old men, old women, young women, young men. That the aged men be sober. This is Paul telling Titus what he's supposed to preach and why I'm preaching it to you tonight. That the aged men be sober, grave. Old men should be serious about their lives. Temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The older women are to teach the young women to be sober. There it is again. God wants us to be sober. Our generation wants us to be foolish. Your flesh wants to be foolish and light about everything. But God wants us to be sober and grave. To love their husbands, to love their children. And then in verse 6, this is all it says to young men. Because this is the crying need for young men. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. That's all it says. There's a whole string of things that older women are to teach younger women. There's a string of things for older women. There's a string of things for older men. But for young men, if they want to please God, if they truly esteem all His precepts concerning all things to be right, then God's emphasis for your life, be sober-minded. That is so contrary to young men. They're joking, jesting, and fooling around, and messing around, and playing all the time. But this is the word of the Lord. And I thought we all agreed that we hate every false way. Reverence husbands, nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Wives, do you esteem this precept concerning your marriage to be right? And do you hate every false way, anything contrary to reverencing your husband? As Sarah called Abraham Lord, even in her thoughts. Train and do not discourage. Let's get you fathers. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Training is not an option. Training is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. 
it's a precept, and we esteem it concerning fatherhood. Tonight a prayer was offered with a request for all the fathers in this assembly, and we continue to add children to our families, that you will remember this precept. But bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. These are precepts about being a father. You need to so handle yourself with your children that you don't provoke them to wrath or discourage them. On the negative side and on the positive side, you engage in the training of them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That is not the wife's job. It is your job. Obey and pray for government. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's obedience. Whether it be to the king as supreme or governors. I exhort therefore that first of all, first of all, Paul would tell Timothy, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority. Are you praying for our president? Are you praying for our Congress? Are you praying for our Supreme Court? Are you praying for our governor, for our mayor? I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Don't you dare tell a joke about our president. The Bible condemns in severe terms those who speak evil of dignities. Pray for our president. No fussing about liberties. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. So someone is not as weak as you in dealing with some matter of liberty. We're to go ahead and take them on in as church members, but not to doubtful disputations. We do not go around fussing and arguing and debating matters of Christian liberty. The Bible condemns it. And when we get to Romans 14 in our study of Romans, I may die while I'm in that chapter because I'm going to stay in that chapter until all of you get it down pat. Because God doesn't care what you think about anything that He has not expressly commanded or expressly condemned. Everything in between those two is a liberty, which means that everyone else has the freedom to do whatever they want without regard to you. Enough on that. I've preached a whole sermon on it, but there'll be a whole series coming. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. Because you do something one way and someone else does it a different way, there shouldn't be any despising. Let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God hath received him, and that's who we stand before. Be thankful for everything. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Isn't that wonderful? Here's a precept. And we esteem it to be right. And it tells us how we ought to live. Being thankful for everything. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Motes or beams. When the Bible says, judge not that ye be not judged, it has two reasons for telling you that. And it's not the reasons that worldlings use when they remember one verse out of the Bible. Because verse 6 in this chapter tells us to judge when it says, give not that which is holy unto dogs, Neither cast your pearls before swine. That's in verse 6 in the same chapter. The first reason when you judge others, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. 
God is going to deal with you to the degree of mercy you show to others. And that's what that second verse in Matthew chapter 7 is describing. With what judgment and with what measure. So when you're going around picking on others, just remember God's going to be picking on you. It is such a piece of wisdom to go around blessing others, forgiving others, and overlooking others instead of looking for little things in their lives because God is going to then be equally merciful to you. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye? This is hypocrisy. You're looking for a speck of dust in someone else's eye or a matter of very slight significance, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye. This is just a sampling of God's precepts. How about worldly friends? Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. That is a precept. Do you esteem it to be right? Or do you think you can live above this? Ye adulterers and adulteresses. That's strong language. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. This is the Word of God. This is a precept. We need to esteem it to be right, and we need to hate every false way, which is becoming friends with the world, which is allowing evil communications to corrupt our good manners, when the warning is don't be deceived. Do you really hate every false way? Not the Mormons. Not sodomy. So much as the false ways that influence you. There's our verse. Therefore I esteem all thy precepts, all of them, concerning all things, to be right, and I hate every false way. What false ways are in your life right now? I gave you a little sampling of God's Word. Repent and obey His precepts no matter the cost or the trouble, tonight. May the Lord bless His Word to each of you. That is how we understand Psalm 119 and verse 128.